Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EUVC podcast. I am David, and I'm joined by Andreas, as usual. Today, we're welcoming both Clementina and Ted. Ted is a partner at EQT Ventures, a 1.1 billion multi-stage venture fund with offices spread across Europe and the US. EQT Ventures are investing out of Fund 3 with a total of 2.3 billion euros in AUM and an established portfolio of more than 120 companies. Notable investments include Volts, Einride, Nothing, Anafin, Candela. On the other side of our virtual roundtable, we have Clementina. Clementina is CEO at GU Ventures, an early seed investor and incubator in Gothenburg, Sweden. GU Ventures is fully owned by the Swedish state and is an evergreen investment vehicle. GU Ventures invests in deep tech companies formed out of the research at universities. They're investing up to 200k euros and have established over 165 companies, of which 82 are in their portfolio today. And notable investments, including Bico, Tech, Surgical Science. All of these examples are listed on the Stockholm Stock Exchange and NASDAQ today. And we've reeled in Clementine and Ted for this episode as a warm-up for our participation at the Go West Conference in Gothenburg, Sweden. Go West is proving to be a real force in deep tech, punching above its weight this year, just as Gothenburg and Sweden is, with an incredibly cool investor day lined up, counting speakers like Stefan Helgeson, the founder of Grandum, a climate panel with World Fund, Norsken, and Planet A, a deep tech panel with Speed Invest Fantech, EQT, and the NATO Innovation Fund, as well as an LP panel with leading pension funds, corporates from the region, as well as, of course, the well-known EIF. As said, just like the region, truly attracting the best of the best. So don't miss it if you're in deep tech. And finally, if you're listening in and you love our show, you know what to do. Drop us a review, follow the pod and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, values. United and determined. We can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, Clementina and Ted. Let's just start everything off by letting our audience get to know you. And we always do that by asking you your story. Today, we are a bit bigger than normal because we are two people from two different funds with two different stories. <laughs> so for that reason, I will ask you to not go as deep as we normally do, which everyone knows is typically a 10-minute conversation about your journey into venture. Clementina, please take it away. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Well, who am I? Uh, I worked for G Ventures for more than 22 years. It's one of the best jobs you could ever have. Uh, I have a background within the automotive industry where I worked with both Volvo cars as well as Daimler Chrysler. But then I um, uh, was very interested in entrepreneurship in my early days. So I actually started two companies when I was still in school. And then I joined after the automotive industry, I, where I, I really had great time, but I still wanted to be more entrepreneurial. And then I joined the McKinsey team when they established Venture Cup in the 1997-1998, where, you know, you remember that it was like, it was called the new economy. Uh, we met Johan uh, Stelfron Holstein at uh, Ica Media Lab and Jonas Birgersson at Framfab. 
cool new entrepreneurs uh, making their way into the industry. And um, that was a great time where I learned a lot. And then afterwards, I was headhunted to G Ventures in 2001. And I loved it ever since. People are often very interested in how come you stayed for so long? But I mean, who wouldn't if you can work with companies like you mentioned before? Surgical Science was the first one. Then I was actually uh, in the beginning uh, very interested in investing in iTech, which took us, took us a while. But I mean, we hit it off very well. And then we sold it to Volvo Penta. So there's lots of great companies that I've been you know, engaged in. So I can't quit. I can't quit. I love that. That's a good reason to keep going. Ted, tell us your story. It's a bit concerning when you're saying that you can't quit. Everyone <laughs> should have a choice to quit at all times because otherwise it's moving Thanks, into illegal, illegal, illegal territory. If you need help, <laughs> uh, I'll text you my phone number uh, later. Jo joke aside, my name is, yeah. <laughs> we all need help. Uh, yeah, my name is Ted. Um, I've been at EKT now for nine years. So I was part of the um, the team setting up the the venture side of, of, of the firm. Back then we were, I don't know, like EKT as, as a whole, maybe 150, 200, something like that people. And now we're close to 2000 people. So we, we've been on kind of our, our startup journey on our own. Now um, on, the, on the venture side, we're 45. So 45 out of 2000, we're still kind of like the kids table within the, within the firm. Before joining EKT, I had, I don't know, 15 whatever year um, um, journey in various sort of, facets of, of tech. I've, I've been been part of, of startup journeys, founding companies, um, both as a kind of like a self-taught developer, as a product designer. I've been founding and run, running um, digital consultancies, like the ones you mentioned, Clementina, like that were sort of, basically were the startups around sort of 99, 2000, 2001, uh, done, done some of, uh, of those. But I, I think I identify as a, I feel like a builder so somehow, even though I'm not building kind of on a detail level anymore, but sort of working together with some of the smartest people in the world who are building. That's why we can't quit, Ted. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask that. Do you also share the, the feeling that you cannot quit? <laughs> Can I quit? It would be very sad if I would quit because it, it is super fun. Uh, I think technically, technically, I, I probably could. I don't want to try, <laughs> but, but, but because what if it works? <laughs> Like you have a pretty, I'm sure you have a pretty aggressive bad lever clause in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that, that depends on how how I would quit. I don't think I would exactly. hopefully not quit to trigger a bad lever clause. <laughs> Steal stealing some staplers and uh, exactly. for the door. it's worth it. Some staplers they just stare you right in the eye, and you're like, oh, you're coming they're home. They're so baby. They're so beautiful. <laughs> but I mean, to be frank, I mean, we have so many great entrepreneurs and it's not that they really, really need our help, but they're, it's a great collaboration, right? And Ted, that's why we love it because we work with great people and also great teams, the ones that you mentioned and also um, my team. I mean, I've been so honored to work with those people. For instance, Sophia, that's also joined us and work with GoVest. That's why we work here and we can't quit. And that's, and that's why I can't quit uh, UEC because Andreas will then follow me around the world trying to pester me. But that's another conversation for another day. Now let's, let's dive into what really matters today, which is investing in deep tech with a particular focus on university spinouts. More loyal listeners will know that both Andreas and myself have a soft spot for this topic. So we're really happy about having you two here with us, Clementine and Ted. 
because obviously universities are an important source of, of deep tech innovations. And Clementina, let's start with you, as it seems you've managed to get it right at Geo Ventures and Gothenburg Universities. By the way, being ranked uh, top 10 for university-based incubators uh, and helped develop more than, if I have my numbers correctly, 140 innovative growth companies. So tell me a bit more about how you work at Geo Ventures and specifically the topic of helping deep tech startups spin out of the university and get across that infamous value of death that we'd love to talk about. Thanks, David. I would love to. And uh, to start with, we are the ones that are first investing. So uh, when we meet our ID providers, that, as we call them, there are usually researchers that have been working with a special task for many, many years. And uh, of course, they are really deep into that. And it's just great to think about and sit and dream together. What can we do with this and which application should we try first? Uh, so we go from there, from ideas to companies, and it's really important to manage expectations in that level and also write business plans that we think that we can manage. Uh, we need to usually get somebody in as soon as possible to work with the ideas. So what we do start with is a blank sheet. We don't have an entrepreneur in the beginning. The researchers are normally best at the technology. Uh, so what we do is that we focus on uh, starting the business together with a board. We want to form a board where we have different competences and in the beginning try to raise a bit of a capital so we can actually employ that entrepreneur. So we don't usually do company investments where we meet an entrepreneur to begin with and that's who we invest in. We actually often recruit the entrepreneur. We have, of course, a few examples uh, on that side as well, where we have met entrepreneurs and we invested in their ideas and then we connected them with research because we thought that these ideas could actually benefit a lot if they met and worked together with researchers in that field. It's been a while since I've been invested directly into startups. So for that reason, I don't want to be the one leading this one. But Ted, I want to ask you, in general, when you've looked at or when you look at your portfolio, the companies that make it all the way to where EQT Ventures starts coming in, how many of them do you see coming as incepted out of a university with the background of having both hired hired executives versus whether it's founder-driven right from the start and only. How do you think about what Clementina said on the board level that you start by setting the board and, and, and all those things? Because to me, you know, I, and I, I, I can say what I think, right? Because to me, it's a bit where I see oftentimes the difference between coming out of a university and, and, and being built from outside of a university, that you don't have that type of breeding ground and that's for the better or the worse, right? So Ted, I'm curious to hear your take on this overall and, and, and what you've seen. Yeah, I would say, I mean, from, from our perspective, more and more, but I, uh, I don't necessarily think that that is because more and more companies are being spun out of, spun out of uh, academia. I think it's just like us discovering it kind of. So in, in the early days of Equity Ventures, when we were investing out of our first fund, I think we, we were new to investing. We, uh, and when you're new to something, you, you look around and you, you find a few role models and then you start imitating basically and saying, this is, this is how we want to do things. And of course, infusing our experiences from being founders ourselves. But where we ended up with the first fund was in the early days of the first fund was basically a kind of clear cut software investor, just like all the others uh, in Europe and in, in the US. Then I think we've been on this journey realizing more and more that that's not really where 
the interesting stuff happens. Uh, we kind of rediscovered EQT more and more, uh, which of course is, uh, has been an industrial investor from, from, from the start. So realizing how much competence and, and knowledge and experience is inside our walls and, and working closer to, to, to them and, and using that as a springboard out in, into kind of, I don't know, sourcing companies in outside of the, the typical kind of yeah, two guys that used to be in, in, in a garage. And I think looking at it now, I think companies that started in, in universities or, or have some type of sort of angle coming out of universities is, is, is a very big chunk of what we're, what we're doing. We, we, we recently reorganized our whole team and added a, a fourth sector team on top of B2B, B2C and FinTech that we call sustainable industrials, which is basically looking for for these, uh, these companies coming out of academia. Then I think, I mean, a, a lot of very cool things. I think there are a lot of sort of watch outs and challenges and, um, and stuff like that as well, but more and more. I love that we got this point in here because so much of the, how should I put it, the literature base that we have on startup and, and, and entrepreneur world would say that, you know, it should be startup two guys in a garage and it shouldn't be, you know, don't go into the universities that, you know, you should, ha you should search for dropouts, not for researchers uh, and that type of bro mentality that there's been. But I think that what's becoming exceedingly clear is that if you're looking for the future innovations of this world, it's going to be deep tech and, and, and there you're going to be working with spin-outs of, of universities or, or companies even. So I think it's, it's, it's an important point. And I think it's very interesting to, to hear from your side that you're saying, well, hmm, we're actually seeing this growing quite significantly as a source of deal flow for us. Actually, it sounds great that you see it that way. But I have to admit that, I mean, we've been working with great VCs all along. And many of our teams consist of many researchers still, but it doesn't have to be maybe the CEO. Maybe it doesn't have to be everyone in the management team. And actually, many VCs have invested in researcher-driven research entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs that have quit their research and started to work in the companies. That's fine, too. Uh, we just have been looking for a more diverse team in that perspective. We think that it's much better if you do have a commercially-driven person that has, like, uh, Ted, you were into that, that you have a industrial background maybe because if you want to make it in the big world if you want to make it in the big industry you have to have contacts you have to have you have to have knowledge of the culture you have to know how to negotiate that business and even if you're a researcher you can do that of course but you don't have probably the all the same skills that we can be, be we can recruit to the teams no no i agree it's 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 interesting to think about i mean you're looking for like how to say simple simple answers of course it's a podcast we, we have to wrap this up at one point <laughs> but it's like no, not uh, really we'll just go on that's why it's a podcast and not uh not an event or just do like a, an in, infinite live stream but 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 i think it's just like being a founder uh, a successful founder it's very rare and it's a, it's very special special remarkable people that make it and I think if, 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 you, if you apply sort of some type of archetype thinking to, and also becomes stereotypical in a way, I think if a person comes out of business or out of tech or out of design or, or sort of out of domain expertise, uh, there are certain sort of things to, to, 
to look out for and certain ways to, to construct kind of like a high-performing team around that, that person. And the same is true for, for people out of academia. There are certain sort of, I, I think, spe- special watchouts we are, we're looking for when we're sourcing companies spinning out of ac- academia um, and, and, and thinking about how to spend, spend, the, spend the team. And I think, I mean, you, you have to be good at so many things being, being a founder, but, but having the commercial side, being founder-focused, being able to articulate what you're doing, being able to rally employees, investors, media uh, around you, almost be almost having being both the founder and an, and a politician at the same time. It kind of and if, and if you put down that list of all those requisites, there are not a lot of people in in the world that that fits those uh, those criteria, but they exist, and that's what's so cool. Clementina, I wanted to to kind of build on this and ask you something I, i've personally and i'm sure you you've all you've all uh, seen it as well i've personally seen my fair share of university ttos slash uh, incubators slash accelerators you know whatever they position themselves as of actually sometimes doing more harm than good and i think it actually comes from a place of you know they're still learning themselves and like their it's early ecosystems and 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 the team is still actually internally still being set up and building up the expertise but the downside of that is that I have seen my fair share of investors like Ted being kind of scared off because of what was done before. And, and I'm sure that's not the case at, uh, at Gothenburg, but I'm sure you've learned a lot in the process and you've revamped and changed some things that you were doing in line with making sure that at the end of the day, you're not hindering the prospects of future financing for, for these companies. I'd love to have you share a bit. Uh, I don't know if you want to share failures, but at least share the learnings. And, and what you've built on over time. I can share both, actually, but you're right. I mean, I think that well, we have different data that we've been looking at. For instance, I know that yeah, I have colleagues from the UK, from Manchester. Manchester University, for example, uh, they own the researchers' uh, IP. So it's a totally different situation where you have lots of money and the researchers comes to the university TTO and you put in a lot of money and you create a team. I'm not that familiar with it, but it works totally different in Sweden because the researcher owns that IP himself or herself. So then it means that we are sort of interested in how can we help this person? How can we invest in a great team, in a great IP, so that, of course, we can get new and much more patient capital coming in? So in that perspective, I know that many TTOs have like sort of a sweat equity deal. Maybe they share uh, profits with the researchers. That's what they do in the U.S. Uh, For we invest capital, it's a valuation. We get the percentage, the ownership that we can get for that money. Uh, Some others that have sort of a different way of looking at this, use the sweat equity because they don't have that much cash in the beginning, or maybe they're risk averse in a, in a way and they don't want to put in too much cash before they can see if this is going to fail. So anyway, just to be frank, everything is tested and everything is possible in this business. But what we don't want to see in the end is that the early investors, either it's universities or business angels, that mess up the cap table, that actually are maybe two big owners compared to key personnel and, of course, the founders in that way as well. But we need to also have an ecosystem where early investors can invest in the beginning and then when bigger VCs comes in, how we can clean the cap table. And we'll be doing that for many reasons as well. 
the business angels want their money back. And um, when we, you know, progress and when we expand, we don't want to have 40 business angels as owners either. So it's a, it's a sort of a two-way street. Uh, you have to look at it from the VC's perspective as well as the founders and all the other investors that were in the early stage. I don't know, Ted, what do you think about that way of looking at it? Deep tech investing or like academia spin-outs, they, they kind of sell out of favor. It's, it's it, like back in the day. I mean, that is where, where the tech industry is coming from from the beginning. That's where Silicon Valley, how Silicon Valley was, was born. But then I guess investors discovered the, the internet. And in the beginning, it was diverse and there was no playbook. And, and, uh, but then it was more and more and more and more streamlined. And, and there was some, where does it see that? It was connected to, to Biden's package in the US just before the IRA was born. There, there was a graph that I saw, which was during the year where we had the most investments going into tech, we had like the lowest rate of foundational research happening at the same time. And then I think we, we had the geopolitical shifts in the world. I think it's, it's a, a big part is driven by that we're reaching the end of, of Morse law. We kind of have to find new hunting grounds. And then all of a sudden it became kind of trendy again in, in a way. And, and, and I think it's both out of necessity. And then we started seeing some, some great first um, role models. It was interesting. I, the, there's a blog called The Reaction Wheel. And, and uh, there was an article about uh, VC investing in, I think, the 80s or the 90s or something like that. And it looked super cool. It's like it resembles a bit what we're talking about right now. So right now there's this, this term that is floating around like post-internet companies like Companies that 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 are, are are driving innovation in fields that could become as as big and, and, and impactful as the internet. If you look at uh, VC investing in the eighties and nineties, that was pre-internet. Yeah, pre-internet so and post-internet, the same. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's kind of like you have a sort of you have a lot of it was a segment diagram, and then for the listeners here, I'm trying to show with my hands, but the segment diagram of very diverse multiple different sort of subsectors and then all of a sudden the internet took it over and everyone invested into apps and then then e-commerce and then um and then mobile and then blah blah and now you see sort of new interesting stuff breaking out synthetic biology and and it uh it's actually super funny Ted, because i i'm coming right into this recording just from an interview or or, or a round table that was that was on on venture debt and and revenue-based financing which it's so obvious that now that we know the playbook for SaaS as well as we do and for all the e-commerce and, and, and very predictive or, or predictable uh, uh, starter paths, it's clear that the way of, of financing this type of, of business is to an increasing extent not equity financing. And for that reason, you know, it's all also natural that you will see VCs going to the more hard tech or, or deep tech angle, because that's that's also where you you actually can justify taking equity at a later round as well. Um, because of course, if in the beginning you can always warrant it, but but at Series A you're starting to look at, with the SaaS business like something that you would just finance with debt and uh, and. Well, I think it's, we we uh, we came to the same conclusion. In a way, software investing is is, is proven. I mean, th th there's no risk in how to say, there's no risk in the investment model or in the financing model. We, we all know what an A run, a B run, a C run, so forth is. But 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 in 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 this new world, we we kind of don't. So we, we we're working on some type of attempt on on our side. That's kind of like a community led led approach. We call it climate break, which will come out later this 
this year or next year yes, or something. It's coming out together with Contrarian. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I met Rockas through through Kaufman, and um, basically trying to do a study around the new journeys. We realized it's it's not one journey. It's probably right now it's seven, six or seven journeys, and 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 just trying to create some type of grid or framework or or or, or manual that will evolve over time, hopefully. But it's interesting. I think it's almost exactly a year ago that we put out an episode with uh, with Ruckus from Contrarian and uh, Christian from 2150, where we spoke about the need for a new uh, new venture model um, or playbook for 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 this type of ventures. And I, I'm so happy when when I saw the climate brick work being done by by Ruckus and you. I thought, ah, so they're they're really at it now. That's really good. Probably, probably came out of that. He, uh, the, 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 the spark was we were in a bus with, uh, with this Kaufman thing, and, and uh, we, were, we were the only two ones, I think, that had not submitted our thought leadership projects. And then we said, how, how, should, we, how should we do this? And then said, let's do it together. And then, <laughs> poof, it became like bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, we still have not submitted it, though, to, to Kaufman. <laughs> That's really impressive. We're looking forward to that. If we could just go back, if you if you kind of summarized it very good, we have had a digital area. Uh, in during that period, actually, we have done lots of investment within, let's say, life sciences like biotech and pharma, as well as really deep tech companies within energy and uh, different solutions. But anyhow, I could say that during these years, we have raised much more money in the deep tech ones, the pharma ones, the energy ones, because of course they're like more like hardware. They need more cash. And the competition hasn't actually been that tough in that area. It's really easy to say, can you cure this cancer field? Can you cure this other field? Like for instance, we're developing a vaccine for Alzheimer. I mean, who doesn't want to invest in that, right? <laughs> and all these ideas we have made let's say, 10 or 20 times our investments in the beginning compared to the other ones. And of course, if you're an early stage investor, you can't count that on that we're going to make the same multiples like you guys in the long run with bigger investments. So in the beginning, of course, we're going to find our ways, but we need also to do great investments and to change the world. You need to do hardware. You need to do pharma. You need to do all those fields as well. And the digital is always in the business model. Almost always. Almost. You know what, Clementina? I think the narrative was so nice. We're in the post-internet era. Everything is like moving towards this. And then all of a sudden, AI just like <laughs> coming in. Exactly. Back to software. This, uh, this biotech pharma stuff. Back to software. Now we all have to invest all our money into um AI. Just kidding. I think it's super exciting, of course. Holy shit, uh, what, what we have around the corner uh, within that field, which will impact all of these Huge. things that, that we're yeah. talking about right yeah. now. Yeah. And I guess that that's the, that's the fun part about investing. You want to have a diverse portfolio, even though you need to focus. You want to find stuff that kind of are co-active. Probably this is most to you, Ted, because normally you'd always say that the deep tech is capital intensive. And for that reason, it's more difficult. Um, and, and venture doesn't really like it for that reason. Uh, and that's been the critique or what's been keeping people. Then what's so funny is that you've kind of gotten now, I'm seeing more and more often the opposite argument 
being made, which is with a SaaS model, you end up building these companies with terrible unit di- economics that you're just pouring cash and cash and cash into. And we don't want to do that anymore. We actually think that deep tech is where you can make some real strides in the beginning. And then because you've got you've got an actual product and, and, and the model for building something industrial, we all know and you will get profitable sooner and more reliably once you've gotten over the tech tech risk, right? I'd love to ask you, is that how you think about it as well? Or or get that there's of course truth to both <laughs> both sides, but love to hear how you think about the long-term capital requirements for deep tech companies and whether you see them as clearly bigger or clearly smaller, or it it, it is just case by case and you can't really you need to look at look at each case. I mean, I, I wish I could just say yes to what you just uh, what you just said. I, I, to, to be honest, in the, like the last the last months of the sort of uh, zero to low interest rate world, I would have said yes. That is exactly the way it is. It's very clear in my mind. This is the way of of, of the future. Now, I think it's 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 a bit more nuanced to be to be to be frank. And I also think that like. In, in the search for sort of the next big thing in sort of a zero interest rate environment, there is nothing, nothing hindering you to go all in into these super futuristic projects designed to, to fix all the problems that we have, <laughs> that we created, that we have to solve before 2030 and 20, uh, 2050. Now it is a bit more, I mean, th- there aren't enough later stage uh, equity investors. There aren't enough later stage Debt providers, grant providers—it's—it's it's not streamlined the the process. It's tough. So I think you can't, as an investor, you can't. Uh, I mean, I, I could I could go out and make like ten early stage software AI bets, kind of spray and pray. It's like this the, the standard um, VC model. Most of them would fail. Some of them would succeed. I don't think we should do the same thing with these types of companies because, f- firstly, I think. They require way more attention. They require way more reserves. It takes longer before they prove themselves. You have to be able to carry them forward. You have to be open to, in many cases, price multiple rounds in, in a row. But I think most importantly is that we got to fix the 2030 and 2050 problems. We can't afford kind of like just having 75% of the companies fail. I, I don't think the fundamental business model for VC is kind of built for this because if, if, if you have like real ip and you're investing like both equity and, and and debts into building i don't know a factory or demo plant or something we can't just say ah didn't work yeah. <laughs> throw it throw it out throw it out so i think it's like yes and no i think that the, where i'm in my brain right now it's um on the deep tech spectrum the more software like deep tech we can be pretty sort of uh generous with let's let's give them let's give them a shot that more hardware centric stuff, uh, we we we're more careful. And 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 if, if we are if we are committing to to backing a founder with a vision to build something like super big, then we got to be able to carry it through the whole the whole way. I love that you say this, and thank you, Andreas, for raising the question because the capitalization issues they're one of the biggest hurdles as well. Of course, there's risk in the technology and risk that the market may be not buying directly. But you, you're totally right, Ted. We need to keep many things in our heads. And to be successful, 
uh, with these technologies, they're going to save the world. They're going to save the earth. They're going to save humans. Uh, and it's really important. Can I ask both of you to comment a bit on the portfolio model to fund deep tech? Um, because, and you, and maybe Ted, you should start because you just said what you did, right? You can't just place bats and hope that they, spray, they, spray and pray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So would you, would you maybe, that of course implies that, well, you don't do 30 bats and hope that two of them actually come out on top uh, and deliver the whole fund. So I'd love to ask you, how do you put, if you contradict or contra juxtapose the, the, the deep tech part of your portfolio? And and that arm versus the others because you can't hold them to the same standard when you go to IC. Yeah, so I mean that that is again one of the reasons why we initiated this climate break project together with Rockas. We use that in our ICs for these types of companies right now. But I think it's more like we 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 decided early this year to to start um, managing these types of opportunities in in a separate way. So we we uh, we we created this sustainable industrial sector before we just called it moonshot and then whatever went into that bucket we could <laughs> there was no definition and 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 now a couple of two months ago we we reorganized the team so we're kind of solely working in these different sectors and I, I think right now we're trying to figure out exactly how to how to craft the investment strategy uh, like of course docking into our overall investment strategy but specifically for this sector but some early reflections would be. The reserve strategy probably has to be a bit different. Yeah, it can't be that you just back something and then expect that you will get like a mega up round in like <laughs> preempted in ten in in five months and and bam. If you're if you're backing one a company in this in this subsector, you really have to be confident that you're you have like a very long term view of it. Of that, and, and one example could be we backed a company called Evrock, which is a um, founder that we've known for a long time. His name is Matthias Ostrom, and he's 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 building kind of green and European sovereign uh, data centers, basically wanting to take on like Amazon and and Microsoft and Google on the on the on the cloud side. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a very long long term plan, long horizon plan for for that uh, that company. Then, of course, uh, who, who knows? So far, it's looking very very promising, but it's not like a seed bet in gaming or in whatever. We can't, like when, when, when he puts his, his shovel down into the ground, then it has to happen. Clementina, we shared some stats for GU Ventures in the beginning, um, 160, I think we said uh, that you had, uh, you had seeded so far, 165 of which 82 are in your portfolio. I'd love to ask you, how do you think about your portfolio model? What is it that has led to having seeded 165 and then having 82 alive now? That's a great question. And like I said, uh, we own fully by the Swedish state, but it doesn't mean that they put cash in our cash machine all the time. We have to do exits. We have to make money ourselves. So um, we started out with just a few millions and we started to invest a few seed money here and there. In, in both actually services spun out from the um, from the university as well as deep tech our first big investments gave us 12 times the money in a few years so then we can reinvest that and then we can reinvest that and then we can reinvest that so during the years we have invested approximately let's say 15 billions of euros so that's not a lot but it's all made by the exits we have made and um, in, in that way, our portfolio has become 
more and more um, focused on the investments where we have done great deals. So for instance, pharma, that's been the outmost biggest and best investments we've made. We have also listed companies on the stock exchange. We've been one of those that succeeded to do that many years ago. And these companies have had a hard time right now at the stock exchange. But before that, before these times were getting more rough, uh, it actually gave the companies the possibility to raise much, much more capital than actually the VC community could invest. So let's take Baiko, for example. Uh, they have raised approximately, I think, 1 billion of uh, euros. Uh, I'm not sure exactly on that figure, but uh, approximately. Then we have surgical science. They have also raised at least uh, almost 0.5 billion of euros. And it's quite tough to get all that money in and try to build your business in a much, much more speedy way. But they have succeeded in doing that. And this also means that when we have seen these companies succeed, you follow their leads. So we look for more companies in that field. For instance, we have a company called C12, and they have uh, offshore wind turbines. They're establishing them on the Norwegian coast. And I mean, as a seed investor, people must ask us, you must be freaking crazy to think that you as a seed investor can start a company where you're going to build offshore wind mines. And these wind parks, actually, that we're building, uh, we have tested them already in the south um, here in Sweden, we have one in Lysekil, a really small town on the coast that's been, you know, there from 2015 working. So we, we don't have to have huge investments to get new technologies, new energy, new whatever materials, automotive or whichever field we've been working with uh, that, you know, it's going to face really huge challenges that we don't we haven't faced before. When we started the, the venture side of EKT, we were the part of EKT that was very tech oriented. Now I would say the whole of EKT is, is tech oriented. There's so much, so much going on. Uh, starting to sort of uh, be interested in, I'd say the, the more disruptive or moonshotty side of, of pharma and, and biotech. Then we just acquired a, a Dutch life science investor called LSP, uh, which is the, Europe's largest investor. So we uh, integrated them into into GT and starting to, to collaborate. But what, it, what I find interesting is, and also like how we construct our team is to, to have like a, a mix of people who are experts and people who are not experts. So because it's like, if, if, if you're, I have so many examples of, of, of situations where on our team, we have someone who has tried something in the past or is, I don't know, did a PhD in that or whatever. And then you're looking at a new thing and then you're stuck in like too much info, you, you, you can't really see, you can't, you can't kind of say yes to some, some super crazy, crazy perspective. And then it worked. So, so, so I really think when you create deal teams to, and also wider kind of teams of experts, making sure that you, you, you listen only, I don't know, that much to people who know, and then you still have your kind of your external perspective and there could be pattern recognition with completely different things. I find that kind of interesting. And, and, and maybe from, from your perspective, Clementina, like, who are closer to the inception of these, uh, of these companies, if you have any, any perspectives on, on that. I, I actually do. And uh, exactly what you say, we see that in the beginning when we mix the researcher with new board members and that new CEO we have recruited. 
that's the first inception when you can see that. Okay, but are you really sure this is how it's going to work? And why don't, haven't you thought about this? Maybe we can do it this way instead. So that's the first. But then in my team, just as you say, I have different competences, but also the general ones. How do you build a company? How do you make a strong culture in that company? And not just only having the PhDs that already developed lots of pharmaceuticals before. It has to be mixed together. I totally agree. And then as a seed investor, I have right now 12 business developers slash investment managers in our team. We are, of course, quite small. So we need to also focus within those areas. Which areas do we know? Can we actually go for that field or we don't know that field at all? So then we can't invest in that field. So those are issues we're going to, we are talking about discussing them each day. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should invest in four companies that you know something about mm -hmm. and then in one company that you have yeah. no clue about and exactly. then you just like how is just the see <laughs> there's a there's a key tip for anyone trying to build a new portfolio <laughs> <laughs> do four things you really understand and then just close your eyes and throw a dart for the fifth <laughs> exactly. exactly yeah I'm but don't do that but, but make sure you throw it <laughs> yeah. away from your face not towards <laughs> yeah that's exactly a, that's exactly. a rule that does not just apply to investing also in general in life don't throw things at your face <laughs> But Ted, actually, that's a great idea. But what you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invest in four stuff we really know, and then uh -huh. four stuff we have no clue what to do with. Oh, you're upping the game. You're investing in yeah. eight things, 50% yeah. of things. And you're okay. going to invest. I'm in. And you're going to invest. Or we no have pressure. some people from our side who know, and then people from your side that does yeah. not know, and then we just yeah. move. Or the other way around. Yeah. yeah, I like this. It sounds like, sounds like some type of dance, some yeah. dance exercise. <laughs> Nobody okay. wants to back these companies. That we're we're making progress here. That's good. I want to I want to ask a super nerdy question, Ted. Um, which is you you uh, like ten minutes ago or seven minutes ago, you were talking about like different different capital needs of these companies and how you can't you know you can't treat the same way like software intensive uh, compared to hardware intensive or whatever uh, company. How do you feel that affects the risk profile of the whole portfolio? Like how 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 do you balance that also in LP relations, right? Because it's very different. And, and, and I'm coming from the perspective that my first job in venture was raising a biotech fund, drug development focused. And what I've always heard, I was freaking annoyed. was like, we don't do that. It takes too long. It's too risky. It doesn't really work. There's no potential buyers. I, I think it couldn't be furthest from the truth. So I'm asking both from a just fundraising perspective, but also portfolio and LP management perspective. From a, from a fundraising perspective, I think it's... Um... It's still kind of early, and the fund cycles are or so so long, even though they're shorter and shorter, maybe longer and longer now again. But um, I mean, w there is an increased interest for LP co-invest for sure. I think there was a trend in the low interest rate environment when things got crazy, and uh, for for a lot of the LP investors to go direct, uh, it feels like even, that is even in these perceived capital, and I'm using uh, inverse commas here, everyone, even in these perceived capital intensive companies, also also in, the, in that uh, profile of company? Uh, I would say, I would, I would say, I would say, yes. I mean, if you look at the North Vault um, cap table, uh, round over round, both on the equity side and the debt side, it's, it's interesting reading. And so, so I would say, yes, I think it's, uh, but I, th I think LPs are going less direct now and, and relying more on, on managers such as, such as us. I mean, so far, I don't think we have any great examples of synergies in between debt and, and equity. Um, EQT actually had a credit arm uh, that was uh, sold sold a couple of years 
back kind of before this this new this new world. Um, I think it's I think it's too too early to, to to tell to be honest. I think like the, how far we've come is to discuss like reserves allocation like um, in in an IC uh, the, the way it works on, on our side we have five voting partners just making sure that we have the same kind of view of the world. So so because you, you can also you can disqualify a company based on very fundamental things that has nothing to do with the company. For instance, oh, we need more reserves. Then it's better to say, okay, this is the way that we structure our reserves across uh, all these different types of companies we can invest in. So, so you just remove all, all the all the reasons to say no. That does not have to do with the company before, and then you can discuss the actual the actual company. But the reason for my question, and again, it's a very geeky question, <laughs> is because if you need if you need further reserves for these companies. And they do still have risk associated to them, right? Maybe with the same capital reserved, you could do three software-leds compared to one non-software-led one, right? So that automatically affects the risk profile of the whole fund, right? Just curious to, to hear your, your, your reflections internally. I think it depends on how you stage things. Uh, and, 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 and I think, f f firstly, how you manage te te technology risk, and, and then also how you stage the journeys. And I think there is a three building journey and then there is a post-building journey and with building that could be uh, ranging from like a physical product could be a demo plant could be yeah whatever physical and i think before you, you put the shovel in the ground or the hammer to the nail or whatever you're building i think it's more software-like and th then i think it's fine to, to to let the darwinian forces have their their ways but after you start building you should when you start building you should be so you should have figured stuff out to the extent of where there's like very little chance going back. Then, because it will be hard, it will be super hard the way it is already, just securing the journey and making sure everything works. And you have so many more stakeholders in this world than in software. And software is basically just you as a founder and then an investor. In this world, you have like policymakers and debt providers and non-dilutive and uh, academia. And uh, so it's, it's more just more way more complex um, complex journey. Way more complex than actually. That's why I'm really impressed about what you're doing. Of course, you've done a lot of complicated digital as well. But I mean, you are the most active investor with great portfolios. And um, I mean, I think I wish that many more were actually thinking like you do. And uh, we have lots of new VCs. And uh, also, I hope that they look into what's the secret sauce? How have you built this? And, and I know they do. Maybe we can also see that much more new best practices comes out there. Because just like you said, David, it's a great question of how can we actually benefit from all that innovation that's in within the academia, where, which field it ever is, it's always complicated in some ways. Clementina, uh, before passing the baton to my fellow co-host Andreas, if I'm a, a GP listening in, I think that you're doing some really crazy technology and I want to back the four companies you're going to invest that you don't understand shit about. How do you collaborate with, with other investors uh, like Ted and, and others? First of all, we work within the companies, both owners group as well as the boards. We look into who are the most preferred investors and we do contact uh, each and one of them. We work together with uh, corporate finance actors as well. So we look into who do we want to invest uh, with. And that's why also we, we are arranging Go West because we want to gather lots of investors, build relations. 
And we've been doing this for many years. So in total, we have attracted more than two billions of euros into these companies. And they're still quite small. So that's a huge amount of money. But yeah, so how do we go about it? Just like everyone else, we start to negotiate and see if we can get a term sheet in place. Who's going to want to take the lead? Who? What do they think about the valuation? But foremost, how can we build the same sort of collaborative partnership where they see what we see and do they want to build the way we want to build? And sometimes we haven't succeeded. Uh, sometimes we have to turn around and say, okay, we couldn't do this. How can we then take care of the business anyway? Uh, we have actually in one point bought out or cashed in for some of the investors and started all over again because we thought that the technology was still very good, even though we didn't succeed. So one or two times at least. Uh, but it's the same normal procedure. We want to get new investors in as soon as possible. And we're very open to co-investing. So just give me a call. That, that, that was my next question. Uh, uh, my question was, if I were a VC, which I am, and I would like to engage, and, and yes. which I want to, and I want to engage, which I do. What should yeah. I do? But you just answer that. Give you a call. Yeah. So, uh, will you post your phone number in the uh, in the show notes? Is that sure. what you're saying? We, all, we always you post will regret phone that numbers. decision. <laughs> you always post the phone number. Good, good yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's at the footnote of every episode. <laughs> Joking aside, just like you said, there's a lots of communities, and what we want to create is, of course, if we think that this VC is great, then of course that VC could actually influence who the other co-investors are. And that's how you guys always like to work, that, you know, we want to co-invest the syndicate with this and this. And so quite quickly, if we just have one interested, then we can get two, three as well. But please call me. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think the true answer to what you asked, Ted, is uh, you should go to Go West uh, in the, on the 6th of, uh, of February. <laughs> and then you'll meet all the deep tech community. Actually, actually, Andrea, sorry, it's on the 7th and 8th that Ted's going to meet all the deep tech uh, entrepreneurs. But on the 6th. He's just going to need a lot of co-investors. Here I display my uh, over-indexing of the venture community over the startup community. Sorry for everyone, to everyone listening in. Ted, before we close, I want to ask you about European technology sovereignty. Because I went through your investment announcement posts on EQT and something stood out to me. Every time you wrote, there tended to be something along the lines of European technology sovereignty in there. And I, you know, just to put it there, you had about the exploration company, you said what the team at the exploration company is building is exactly what Europe needs. And about Everog, you said Europe's first secure, sovereign, and sustainable hyperscale cloud, a challenger to US giants and a trailblazer for what European companies can become. And about Einride, you said this is exactly the kind of bold <laughs> innovation Europe needs. <laughs> I need to yeah. I need to ask you, Ted, um, what, what's your take here? Why is it important to you? What, what, what's the mission at, at EQT? Is there one when it comes to European technology sovereignty specifically? I mean, when we founded EQT Ventures now nine or so years ago, uh, the, the whole idea was not to compete with other European investors, but com to compete with the idea of having to go to Silicon Valley. Now, it's, it's pretty proven that you don't have to do that. So I don't think that's kind of like our key selling point or anything like that towards founders. But it's something that is kind of 
dear to us. Now we just need to go to New York to list on the stock exchange, but that's next thing for us to fix. We can we can buy a, we can buy a bell and hang hang somewhere in New York. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, no, but I mean we, we're a global firm. Um, we have we have team members in both in New York and in in San Francisco from the from the venture side. I wouldn't say that all cases are are like that, and I think there is a lot lot to be done on how to say the corridor in between the US and and Europe as well. But I mean, I don't know, maybe it's more on a personal level. I am, con- I mean, just looking at sort of the, the talent we have here, looking at sort of STEM PhDs, I mean, we're, we're crushing it. So we should just continue on the journey of crushing it in, in, tech, in tech as well. And if you look at the IRA, I think it's like brilliantly packaged. We have those types of programs in Europe too, but they're just not as user-friendly. We, we got to up our game in Europe. We got to, got to make sure i mean i don't think it's just like it's not a, it's not a, like a war or anything it's like kind of like a friendly competition we got to show that we can we can compete it's like a personal drive I've, i'm on the board of, of companies in the u.s as well so I, not, nothing against that or anyway i really agree and i say that i was at a conference when niklas senström at atomico say the, said the same thing where sort of the conclusion was that it was like an EU conference where the Swedish presidency was holding that conference with VCs and lots of politicians. And they, everyone said, now, we need to go for the win. It's not possible anymore to not go for the win. Uh, and actually, there's been so many new funds building from that perspective to focusing on what could Europe do. I think this is the beautiful place, most beautiful place ever that we have stopped an EUVC episode. Let's, so let's wrap it here. Everyone who listened in, we really hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please do drop us a review, follow the pod, call Clementina, send Ted some love and subscribe at EU.VC. Thanks for having us. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.